0: These documents, they're like an excavation to the dark heart of Facebook. That's Elizabeth
1: Dwoskin. She covers Silicon Valley. She's talking about a trove of documents recently obtained by The Post. Some of these documents were about how Facebook handled far-right groups in the days leading up to January 6th. And they support what many reporters and researchers have thought about
0: Facebook for a long time but they've never fully had the evidence because the company is a black box and only they know what happens inside their platform. Today, we find
1: out what's really been going on inside of Facebook. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, October
0: 25th. These are tens of thousands of documents that were spirited away. By a whistleblower named Francis Haugen. They really do contradict many of the company's public statements about whether its platform, by which I mean also WhatsApp and Instagram, are safe for the world. So, specifically, you know, the company has been taken to task for having polarizing content, and they'll say publicly Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO, has himself said publicly, uh, the jury's out on whether social media polarizes people. But inside, you know, it has reams of its own research showing polarization. They show that there are significant portions of people on the platform who are in rabbit holes of misinformation. The documents also have a lot of damning information about the failures around January 6th and the role of Facebook in the insurrection.
1: I would love to hear more about that, about January 6th. Like, can you tell me a little bit about how these documents shed some light on how this company navigated the election and what came after the election?
0: Well, between the documents and sources, what you see and what I've seen is that Facebook kind of took a victory lap after the election. You know, they spent years preparing for the 2020 election, and the biggest preparation there was let's not make Facebook the story. In 2016, Russian disinformation, they were the story. And so the idea was we're going to do everything we can to not make Facebook the story. And by and large, they took a lot of measures and relatively it worked. Those measures include things like turning off comments in groups that had a lot of violations for misinformation or hate speech. They um, required some admins in groups like that to pre-approve posts and, um, yeah, they 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 started demoting things in their algorithm like live video that they knew might cause problems. You know, you couldn't, for example, say anything relating to I'm going to cause violence at the polls or anything suggesting violence at the polls. They basically had a major war room that lasted for two years heading into the election. The team that created a lot of those measures was a team of about 200, 300 people called the Civic Integrity Team. That team is a very interesting team at Facebook because when you start on that team, its members actually sign an oath saying that their goal is not to put profits ahead of people. So they actually have an an oath that people in the team swore. And what happened to that team is an interesting story. Facebook basically disbanded it the day after the election. So what happened after that? What I've heard from my sources, this isn't in the documents, but what I've heard from my sources is that civic integrity had become too vocal and it was too critical of the company and it was causing a problem for leadership. You do see the criticism over and over in the documents. They would write posts on the company's chat system complaining about the company's double standard for politicians, that there are certain politicians, many politicians that basically were whitelisted so that they were not subject to the company's content rules, like everyday people who get their content taken down all the time. So the civic integrity team was very loud. And again, their oath, their mission statement said, we're not here for Facebook, we're here for people. And that was a problem. And that's why I've heard that leadership broke it up. So then what happened in the lead up to January 6th? Well, shortly after the election, the civic integrity team gets disbanded. And Facebook does something that's become almost a standard process for them, which is some of those measures really do change the site. You know, it it changes the newsfeed algorithms. It changes ranking. It changes engagement. It changes who can comment. It stops people from resharing certain things. So Facebook in general, their whole North Star is around engagement. The MSI, meaningful social interactions, that's their North Star metric. So when people start interacting less, it messes with their North Star. And so shortly after the election, some of the levers that I mentioned that were created by the civic integrity team, they basically switched those off and they took their feet off the gas and they took a victory lap. After they turned off the levers, groups that were supporting Donald Trump and questioning the legitimacy of the election, oftentimes in hateful and potentially violent ways, continued to form and grow, grow virally on the platform. And so they allowed groups to formulate in the two months between January 6th and the election. And according to one of the internal reports, those groups had a lot of warning signs of being problematic. The groups had a ton of misinformation and violent and incitement-related content in it, and that content was getting escalated. And the report said that they didn't even have enough resources to handle the number of escalations that were coming out of those groups. So then you get to suddenly, it's the day of January 6th, and Facebook is watching everything happen on their platform. And what eventually happens there is that Facebook, they put back all the measures that they had taken out after the election. But this is
1: happening at the, like, the very last moment, right? At that point, I think you could say it's probably too
0: late. This is the very last moment. And their own reports concluded that it was too little, too late.
1: Has Mark Zuckerberg said anything about this moment or about Facebook's decision to basically take its foot off the pedal of trying to prevent
0: some of this misinformation from spreading? What really rubbed a lot of the people who work at the company the wrong way and caused a bunch of people to quit was the COO, Sheryl Sandberg. She almost appeared to be taking a victory lap about Facebook's performance. She actually went and said about a week after the insurrection, she said, This stuff was organized on other platforms, not ours. So she deflected Facebook role, and it sounded so flippant. This is probably before they knew the full extent. They hadn't done the postmortems because their feet had been off the gas. But just to say something like that without even doing the investigation really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, and it turned out to be completely wrong. So Facebook's first reaction actually was to try to not look inward, even though their own researchers were looking inward, but the leadership was trying to just look the other way.
1: A Facebook spokesperson denies some of the allegations from Liz's reporting, saying that the company took bold actions on the day of the 6th and in its aftermath. She also said the company removed content that disputed the outcome of the election after January 6th. After the break, how Facebook has failed to moderate the spread of misinformation and hate speech overseas. We'll be right back. So has Facebook been transparent or public about the role that its platforms played in the lead up to January
0: 6th? Facebook's leadership did not clearly want to look at what happened in the lead up to January 6th. The reason we know what we know is because researchers within the company, researchers in civic integrity, researchers in their divisions that are focused on hate groups and operations, those people did want to know what happened. And some of that stuff is leaked. Some of that stuff is in Haugen documents. Others of it leaked earlier this year. We now have a very big picture of Facebook's role and all the organizing that went on and all the misinformation that led to it and the network, the Stop the Steal network that actually was created on the platform and on Instagram as well.
1: What are some of the other big takeaways from these documents that struck you? So I've covered this
0: company now for eight years more closely for the last five and have been with them through all the crises from Russian disinformation to Cambridge Analytica to now, which I consider to be their third and perhaps most damning major crises. Facebook learns the lessons of the past, like you fight yesterday's war very well. They've gotten very good at tackling foreign disinformation. That was the crisis of the 2016 election. They've actually made a lot of changes in the name of privacy as well. That was the lesson of Cambridge Analytica. But the current lesson of our times is around addiction to technology. It's around political polarization, domestic polarization in the United States, divisiveness, and hate speech. And then step out of the United States, the rest of the world, where the majority of Facebook's users reside, are living in countries where Facebook doesn't even have employees in many cases. They have not developed services for the languages that they speak in. They have very few content moderators in different countries where there's ethnic violence, and they don't even have hate speech classifiers, they also don't have a lot of people posting original content. So that means that one publisher who publishes a lot of misinformation can get a huge bang for their buck in other languages and in less developed markets.
1: It's interesting, you know, thinking about all of our revelations of the role that Facebook has played in American politics and polarization and the 2016 election in January 6th. And then even then, the infrastructure for protecting against that kind of stuff here is actually way better than what exists in so many other countries.
0: Covering the company for a long time, I feel like, OK, maybe I've seen it all. Maybe nothing that can happen at Facebook would surprise me. But what you really see so closely is how much they were constantly turning the dials on stuff behind the scenes, content, the way we interact, the way we make friends. They were essentially making like micro tweaks constantly. But what we know is that they also tried to do it in the name of safety, though very often leadership was pushing back on those tweaks, because you can see over and over in the document that there's this conflict between all these proposals from civic integrity that would have really changed the nature of the platform, but leadership didn't want to go there. So you see the values of leadership around growth and free speech, Zuckerberg's personal values around free speech. You know,
1: more people being able to share their experiences and perspectives has always been necessary to build a more inclusive society. And it is our commitment to each other uh, that we hold each other's right to express ourselves and, and be heard above our own desire to always get our way in every debate,
0: that's how we make progress together. You see that in infinitesimally small micro decisions being made all the time at Facebook. People are going to need to step back and say, what does this all mean? We can afford nothing less than full transparency. What Frances Haugen says pretty eloquently, she looks at this and says, you know what? Companies like these shouldn't be regulating themselves. Social media needs to be regulated. As long as Facebook is operating in the shadows, hiding its research from public scrutiny, it is unaccountable. Until the incentives change, Facebook will not change. So that may change, because already there's a lot of proposals around the world, in the UK especially, where that might change the regulation of social media and hold them more accountable for the mistakes on their platforms. It just seems like for something so critical, that's not nearly enough checks and balances when you look at the level of harm that these services can cause. Left alone, Facebook will continue to make choices that go against the common good. Our common good.
1: Elizabeth Dwoskin covers Facebook for The Post. Ariel Plotnick produced this story, and Sean Carter mixed today's show. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. The kind of reporting that we do is only possible because of our subscribers. If that's you, thank you. And if not, I hope you'll consider subscribing. Right now, you can try the post for just a dollar a week, which gets you unlimited access to everything we publish. Learn more at WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe. I'm Martine Powers.